I'm Deidre. And I'm Chelsea. And we're giving you a million murders. you all have been having a fantastic week yes so far and we're back with another one another one bites the dust mm-hmm. another one bites the dust and another one down and another one down another, another one, one bites, bites the, the dust hey <laughs> we we had to plan that it was really good at first the we first time we are the harmony sisters <laughs> the harmonizers we love it. This may end up getting cut because if I feel like it didn't sound good, then I'm gonna end up cutting it. It's gonna be out here. Cut do- my life into pieces. <laughs> this is my last resort. <laughs> Suffocation. <laughs> no breathing. <laughs> Don't <laughs> give a ooh if I come out. <laughs> <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> oh, anyway. listen to that song so many times. So angsty. Was so angry as a child. Not really. Okay. Anyway. So today, I will be doing Close Calls with Serial Killers. Mm. Yes. It was something me and Chelsea have both talked about that we really wanted to do. So Chelsea got hers done first, and I was like, oh, yeah, I was want to do that, too. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to get myself together. So I did. Now, mine are going to be, like, we're going to go through specific people and it's going to be multiple stories about that one serial Kinda killer. Kind of like the haunting, the haunted house or the movie set. Yeah, like a few. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Same, same situation. Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. All right. So the first one I'm going to do is Ted Bundy. Mm. I, like I mean, Ted Bundy. There's just so many people who have had run-ins with him, and it's insane. Yeah. I mean... And live to tell yeah, about because it, surprisingly. I did a few on him. Yeah, and all of these are completely different are than different. yours. Yeah. I mean, there's And there's more. Them. Yeah. So, Ted Bundy, did, and of course, I just go through a little snippet of each of these just mm-hmm. to tell everybody, just in case you haven't heard of them. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, I don't know how you have it, because this is obviously your jam. But if it's not, you know, we're here. We're here to help. So. <laughs> we're the jam on your bread. Yeah. Sop your biscuit up in it. Um, (laughs) We'll slap us. (laughs) Sopping. And for for people in different countries and in the north who don't know, sopping is when you take an item of bread, biscuit, toast, bagel, whatever. It doesn't matter. And you biscuit, (laughs) biscuit, biscuit. (laughs) Um, And you take it and you dip it into some sort of gravy, sauce. You know, if you're like one of those people who like runny eggs and you take your Mm -hmm. toast and you dab it or Mm -hmm. put it into the runny egg mixture, that's sopping in the south. Sopping it up. Sopping up that jam and that gravy and that biscuit. Mm. So, Ted Bundy was a serial killer in the 70s who confessed to 30 homicides between California, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Utah, Colorado, and Florida. 
His true victim total is unknown, and it could be higher than that. He was caught. I'm sure it is. Yeah, I think so too. He was caught and arrested, but escaped jail several times, including jumping out of like a yes. several-story high courthouse, um, before finally being captured by Pensacola police officer by a Pensacola police officer during a struggle. Pam Prine had just begun another semester, another semester, almost said <laughs> that, at Utah's Brigham Young University, or BYU, which Brigham Young has a really good choir, and it is a mostly Mormon faith yeah. university. Um, great choir, though. I always heard from Professor Jewett. <laughs> um, but yeah, so according to the Spectrum, she was... Early for class, when she noticed a handsome fellow avoiding the rain under the Wilkinson Center's patio covering. As I got closer, he said, Hi, do you go to school here? I told him, Yes. I've seen such good people here, he said. I'm out from, I'm from out of town. Can I read? Do I have dyslexia? I told him, Yes. I've seen such good people here, he said. I'm from out of town, and I need to go to downtown Provo to speak, he said eyeing my umbrella. He said, could you walk me to my car so I don't get my suit stained in this rain? Prine obliged the charming stranger as her faith in the Church of Latter-day Saints may have taught her to, since she had a few minutes before class and had an umbrella on her hand. Since she had a few minutes before class and had an umbrella on hand, she could think of no reason not to help. She was also wearing a raincoat with a wraparound belt, so she's like, I'm good. I've got this umbrella. Yeah. We walked through three different sections of the parking lot, each taking us farther away from the Wilkinson Center and from my class. So I asked, where's your car? He said it was just a little bit further. We walked a few more steps when all of a sudden I felt him grab the belt on the back of my coat. Mm -mm. Here we go. She jerked away and ran back a few steps before returning to reconsider and look at him. The stranger asked why she ran away and that he wasn't going to hurt her. Come back and get your umbrella, he said. Prine told him he could keep it and ran off. <laughs> she, can keep it. she later felt she made a fool of herself and didn't report the strange encounter to campus security. I remember that he was very nice and extremely handsome, she said. I kept thinking and dwelling on the fact that I probably had overreacted and left this out-of-towner with a poor image of the church and its university. By the time Ted Bundy was caught and imprisoned, Prine had moved Prine had moved to Arizona. She didn't know what he looked like until she saw a program on TV about the killer. I thought it was strange that it said he was in Provo and had killed a girl there. I thought of my experience with the handsome man in the nice suit. And as I watched the rest of the movie, they showed a picture of Ted Bundy. And I looked at that face and saw those eyes. And I knew it was him who mm. I'd ran from at BYU. That's creepy. Mm-mm-mm. She said, I was numb and felt like I had melted away right there into my gray carpet. I started crying, and as I cried, I kept saying over and over, that was him, that was him. As they showed all the pictures of the girls he murdered, I looked just like them, tall, thin, long hair parted in the middle. I couldn't sleep that night. When I woke up to my radio alarm, the first thing I heard was that Ted Bundy had just been executed. It was January 24th, 1989. I mean close call Mm -hmm. i told you these would be (laughs) but i mean oh i mean he grabbed he jerked her up and she got and he's like oh why are you come back and get your umbrella no boo you can keep it goodbye 
And then she, and this is the thing, we're instilled as women to feel bad about being rude, seemingly to someone. It's like, oh, I was so rude. He's probably going to think so bad of the university and of the religion. He's going to be like those rude Latter-day Saints, Yeah, all this stuff. But it was a serial killer. So like, yes, you should have just knocked him out. There's a reason why we have instincts. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you've got to. You've got to trust them. Mm-hmm. You definitely got to trust them. And don't worry if people think you're rude. If you feel scared, whatever. It's going to be, if some nobody's going to be dwelling right. on it the yeah. day that they die. Like, that lady ran off when I asked her for directions in 1995. Yeah. Like, no one's going to remember that. So just forget it. Like, if you feel scared, run. Run away as fast and as run. far as you can. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um. <clears throat> this one's crazy too. Debbie Harry also had a run in with Ted Bundy. I'm surprised I've never heard about this before. She's the lead singer of Blondie. Hmm. By the time she had run into Ted Bundy, he had already murdered numerous women. According to the Telegraph, the front woman revealed her unanticipated experience with the killer in a 2010 interview. Ted Bundy admitted to his lawyer that he first tried to kidnap a woman in 1969. He also implied that he killed his first victim three years later, though his earliest known victims died in 1974. This is exactly around the time that Harry was confronted by him. It was in the early 70s, and I was trying to get across town at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, she said. This little car kept coming around and offering me a ride. I kept saying no, but finally I took the ride because I couldn't get a cab. I got in the car and the windows were all rolled up except for a tiny crack. This driver had an incredibly bad smell to him, Mm. which I'm like, ooh. I looked down and there were no door handles. The inside of the car was stripped. The hairs on the back of my neck just stood up. I wiggled my arm out the window and pulled the door handle from the outside. I don't know how I got it. Or how I did it, but I got out. He tried to stop me by spinning the car, but it sort of helped me fling myself out. Afterwards, I saw him on the news. Ted Bundy. <laughs> the, the last story I have with Ted Bundy is from Reddit, and I found it years ago, but I had to add it because I can't find the original author of the thread. So this was, whew, this is such a good one. It's my favorite one that I've ever read. So... The story goes that this couple, a friend of the author's mother and father, were having an awkward first date, and at the end of the date, the dad suggested that they take a midnight hike up to Provo Canyon. So here we are back again. Taking midnight hikes. Yeah. Like, and we're back in Provo Canyon, too. Back in the BYU area. Mm -hmm. So, in Utah. Apparently, the dad knew the place and had done some rock climbing up there. So the two of them drove their cars out there and started hiking with nothing but the moonlight, with the moon lighting their way. At some point, the dad starts getting a bad feeling. They were about to pass under some trees and it would be super dark and it was getting pretty late. He ignored the feeling and kept walking. All the while, the mom was feeling the same way around the same time. So of course these, you know, they're just a couple at this point, but it's somebody's mom and dad. They end up being there. Um, So, but she didn't know the trail like the dad, so she ignored it too. She was like, well, he knows where he's going, so it's fine. 
A minute later, the same feeling came back to the dad and he ignored it again and started walking under the trees until he felt something hit his foot that was soft and in the middle of the path. Under the trees, it was too dark to see what the soft thing was, and then that bad feeling came back stronger than ever. Instead of finding out what was under the brush, he said he and his soon to instead of finding out what was under the brush, he and his soon to be wife turned around and got out of there. Years later, after being married for some time, they were watching an interview with serial killer Ted Bundy. They asked him when was the closest he felt to being caught. He explained how he lured a woman into Provo Canyon and killed her when he heard some people coming up the trail. He told how he hid in the trees just in time, mm -hmm. only to watch some guy walk into the body and for some reason just turn around and walk away. So, Dad... Yeah, I've heard that one. It's crazy. Yes. So, Dad walked into a dead body and... Just the... Yeah. And, I mean, would he have even tried to like he may have just ran away because it was a man and a woman yeah because he never fought you know he never wanted to fight men really yeah. you know like he would if he you know but yeah who knows so um so yeah so those are all the ones i have on ted bundy the next one i have is the Times square torso ripper okay now this is a mess so Richard Cottingham was a serial killer and rapist of 11 young women and girls who were sex workers in the New York and New Jersey area between 1967 and 1980. Dang. Yeah. They did a whole documentary on him um, and how, you know, he just wasn't ever caught because it was sex workers and, like, they may not have had a lot of family. Yeah, that's... Yeah. They're, like, people seek them out because they're like, oh, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, they're not people, too, so... It's terrible. But he was given the name the Torso Killer and the Times Square Torso Ripper after he... Is this the same Torso Killer that Sarah did in the, our no. other podcast? No. No. Um, there's yeah. a couple of Torso... Because there's, okay. there's one in, like, Ohio or something where people were just finding torsos left and right and all that. So this is a different one. I'd never heard of this one before. I was really surprised. Yeah. Um, he was given the name the Torso Killer and the Times Square Torso Ripper after he dismembered and decapitated two victims in a hotel in Times Square. Goodness. Yeah, so these, yeah. He has claimed to kill between 85 and 100 people. Yeah. And he was arrested in 1980 after he had taken 18-year-old Leslie Ann O'Dell back to the same hotel he murdered his other victims in. Her screams were so loud it alarmed the motel staff that they, and they were already on high alert from the last murders that took place at the hotel, so they called the police. They were able to rush in and save her before she was murdered as well. He attempted suicide behind bars twice, but has since accepted his sentence and has grown his beard out. I don't know why I added that. Who cares? <laughs> in 2010, he confessed to the murder of another woman, a cold case from 1967 that the New Jersey police have finally closed. Author and investigative historian Peter Vronsky detailed his chance encounter with the killer in his book, The New York Ripper. When Vronsky found himself stranded in town without much cash in 1979, he settled on a cheap motel, hotel excuse me, in Times Square. As the 23-year-old walked into the Travel Inn Motel, nope, Travel Inn Motor Hotel, 
Cottingham was on his way out. He had just murdered, raped, and mutilated two women and was carrying their heads in and hands no. in a bag. Mm-mm. Their torsos were burning, set ablaze. I, I mean, this is rough. Could you imagine the smell? No. Because think about the smell of like, have you ever been around somebody or yourself, like been around a fire and got too close and it burned the hair on mm-hmm. your skin? That's just the hair. Yeah. Like, so, no, I cannot. It's, it's rough. This is a really rough case. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know if I would do this case because it's just a lot. But, um, so yeah, he had just murdered, mutilated, did terrible things to these women, had their heads and hand in a bag. Their torsos were burning, set ablaze on the twin beds in an upstairs room Mm -hmm. as he waited for the elevator to take him down. So he's just, he's just setting the hotel on fire. Like, okay, if you're going to kill people, well, don't like... Don't put everyone else in danger because you're going to set the whole hotel on fire. Yeah. Like, okay, now you're really a serial killer and now you're a mass murderer because yeah, all yeah. these people could have died. Like, so come on now. I mean, don't murder anybody, obviously, but you know what I mean. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, so Vronsky was waiting for the elevator to come down, but it seemed stuck upstairs. He um, said later that Cottingham was holding it open to verify whether the fire he had set would be sustained. So he was holding up the elevator upstairs to make sure that the fire was going to keep going and messing up everybody's day. Exactly. Just messing up everything. So it was a reckless thing for him to do, he wrote. I would have taken the stairs, but that's how serial killers are. Intrinsically reckless. His need for control. Obviously, he was reckless. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. Well, so as I was reading this, I realized it didn't really sound like they ran into each other, but they passed each other. And then when he was trying to take the elevator, it was stuck upstairs and it's because he was holding it open, you know, Mm -hmm. and then went on down. So it was still stuck upstairs by the time he got to the door. So anyway, um, he said it was a reckless thing for him to do. He wrote, I would have taken the stairs, but that's how serial killers are intrinsically reckless his need for control over the crime scene to enjoy it, even as he was fleeing from it, exceeded any sense of caution he might have. Eventually, his reckless, his reckless daring would lead to his ultimate downfall some six mm-hmm. months later. So. He let that door hit him on the way out. Mm-hmm. Showed him. But yeah, no, this was a, that's a rough, rough case. Yeah. And I mean, it took so many people to die before he was found and he was going in New Jersey and New York. So of course they're not talking to each other and they don't think it's even connected. And he would like change up his MO just enough with the people he was, they were all sex workers for the most part, if not all of them, but it was like something was just a little different where they weren't even putting two and two together. They're like, oh, well, this woman had a family and this woman didn't. It's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just, just look These torsos it. are out here like, hello. So, you know, but they finally found him. Um, and that's all I have for him. So my next one is about Fred and Rosemary West. These two are so terrible. I'm glad this girl was able to make it out alive because this was horrible. Fred and Rosemary West killed and raped at least eight young women together. Mm -hmm. 
Ugh, just trigger warning for all this mess because it's bad. Yeah. Fred impregnated his daughter while Rosemary beat and killed one of their other daughters. Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Felicity Nightingale started hitchhiking when she was 22 years old. I hate people who hitchhike. I know. And this was back in the day when it was normal. I don't hate them. I just dislike them because it's so dangerous. I know. Yeah. And, and we're about to see why. We're about to see how dangerous it can be. So Fred West, together with his wife, Rosemary West, had already murdered several women after raping and torturing them in their home by the time he happened upon Nightingale. It was April 1980, and Nightingale would be working in Mid-Wales Village all summer. Um, yeah, I didn't say this, but this is, you know, over in Europe where this happened, mm. in Wales. Um, so, well, maybe not Wales, but Mid-Wales Village, I don't know. So anyway, with no car, she frequently hitchhiked to and from work, which I'm like, that's you got to be getting out there early because what if nobody picks you up and then you end up late for work? I don't... So anyway, oh, I could not be doing that. <laughs> I do not get ready in enough time to go get on the road and try to get hitchhiked. One day, she met Fred West. According to The Guardian, he never told her his name, but Nightingale remembers his presence clearly. He was the strangest I met thumbing rides, she recalled. It was an encounter I would never forget. After hitching a ride to a service station on the M5, don't know what that is, but, you know, that sounds like, you know, something, mm-hmm. <laughs> something over there. Somebody knows. Um, somebody offered to give her a lift. She found it odd that he offered without even asking, without her even asking, but he seemed nice enough. Yeah. He said, I'll give you a ride. Throw your rucksack in. It's perfectly safe. Don't worry. I don't know what a rucksack is. I don't either. either. I it should have looked like this a, up. Like a bag or something. Yeah, like a knapsack. <laughs> I don't know. Knapsack. Knapsack. Sack nap. <clears throat> so, yeah. He said, it's perfectly safe. Don't worry. She kept insisting that she'd rather have her bag up front with her. But the man repeated that she shouldn't worry. When he said, when he, said he was actually in the mood for a cup of tea... Nightingale was relieved. She, of course he was. Yeah, he's like, I could do it for a spot of tea. And she's like, oh, thank goodness. I'm weary from my travels. Um, <laughs> so she thanked him and said she'll just try somebody else. Because she's like, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Okay, no. So she was like, thank God. He's trying to go do something extra and yeah. I'm not. So she's like, I can get out of this. He said, come for tea. What's the harm in a cup of tea? Murder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the two mismatched strangers sat in the service station and had tea together. With the stern driver asking all about her family and how they felt about her hitchhiking habit, she explained they weren't too happy about it, but allowed her some independence. That's ridiculous, he I said. Was, huh? I was about to say, earned her some independence? Yeah, I don't know. Get you a car for independence. Yeah, that's what you need to be independent about. Because <laughs> you being dependent on getting a ride from somebody, that's yeah, not very independent. Yeah, it's dependent. <laughs> you dependent on somebody else, and somebody. it's dangerous. You know, I mean, if you, I mean, it was understandable back then, but I'm just like, no, yeah, don't yeah. depend on anybody because. Especially not now in this world. Yeah, no, it ain't, this ain't the time or the place. And it wasn't then. God, the only one you need But he said, that's ridiculous. He said angrily. They obviously don't care about you. No parent who cared about their daughter would let her hitchhike. Oh, wow. Like, excuse me, sir, you don't know my family. <laughs> you don't know me. 
Nightingale thought him rude, but certainly not dangerous. She thought he had a volcanic temper, but he certainly did not seem to have any sexual motive. So she hitched a ride with mm-hmm. him after tea. I'm like, no, girl. Yes. <laughs> he kept urging her to meet and stay with his wife and family in Tewksbury, which she found odd. She just wanted to get home to Weymouth. He got increasingly angry at Nightingale, lying to her that they needed to drive through Tewksbury to get to Weymouth. Blatantly incorrect. The man told her that he needed to see a friend nearby and that he'd drop her off and pick her up on the way back. He was so cross, I actually thought he was going to lean across and hit me, so when he stopped, I did what he said and got out of the van, said Nightingale. Nightingale. I don't know what that was. <laughs> Nightingale. Fortunately, she quickly caught another ride, which I'm like, at this point, would I even get back in a car with somebody else? No. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Oh, maybe the next one's not <clears throat> crazy. <laughs> right. No, I'm just not willing to take that chance anymore. I'm like, forget this. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, she quickly caught another ride, which dropped her back off at the service station from which she safely found her way home. It was 14 years later that she found out it was Fred West who picked her up that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Only then did she realize the angry old man and his wife, Rosemary, had tortured, raped, and killed 10 women between 1967 and 1987, including their own daughter. That's terrible. Yeah. I mean, it's all terrible, but your own daughter? Yeah. Yeah, they're just, they don't care. This is so ratchet. She says, Nightingale's husband joked that she must have been the only woman to be rejected by Fred West. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's disrespectful. (laughs) He said, I can, she said, I can still picture the man I know as Fred West telling me how delighted his wife would be if I came to stay. Of course she would. Yeah. Fresh meat. Just y'all horrible people. Okay. Now I've got BTK. 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 I said BTK. Okay. Dennis Rader. Um, BTK stands for Bind, Torture, Kill. This was the name that Dennis Rader made for himself, which, like, understand, people who are named serial killers, like the Night Stalker, the East Area Rapist, the original Night Stalker, I mean, the Torso Ripper, the Torso Killer, the Zodiac, well, the Zodiac named himself, too. But, like, this is someone who was like, oh, I want to be called this. Like, how... Arrogant. Yeah, do you have to be to do that? So, he made the name for himself while he was murdering 10 people over the course of 17 years between Wichita and Park City, Kansas. He was finally caught after sending letters to the police and asking if a floppy disk could be traced to anyone. (laughs) He asked the police to be honest and tell him the truth. They're like, no! I wonder how many listeners know what a floppy disk is. I feel like we have older oh, I mean, I'm, yeah, listeners, so, so I know a lot of y'all do, but for those who don't, a floppy disk was kind of like a USB drive or like a flash was, drive, but it was a square disk that you slid in to your computer, to the PC part of your desktop computer. Missed, the laptop I computer? Missed, I miss those. Yeah. So you just stuck it in. And then you would go to, like, computer or something and then click the floppy disk in your, like, documents. And then all your documents would pull up in one spot. It was basically like a folder that you had to stick into your computer to get to. Mm -hmm. It's a whole thing. 
It's a whole good thing about yes. my childhood. Yeah, they used to be plain and dull, and then they started getting fancy, and you'd get, mm-hmm. like, see-through ones that yes. were purple, like those controllers for the Nintendo 64. Like, mm-hmm. it was kind of fancy. I loved that slide as well. <laughs> but, yeah. So, they didn't tell the truth. You know, he was like, be honest, tell the truth. Can this be traced back to me? They're like, no, of course not. Go ahead and send it in. <laughs> and they lied. Fake. And they arrested him, and he was sentenced to 175 years in prison. And it was funny because he, it literally had, like, the church that he went to attached Mm-mm. to it with his name on it. Yeah. So they were able to find his church and everything. Now, Raider almost had 11 victims on April Dang. 20. Yeah. He had 10. He almost had 11. On April 28, 1978, Dennis Rader broke into the home of Anna Williams. She would have been his eighth victim. So, like, out of the 11, she would have been number eight. Number eight. If he had it. But, it, you know, he had 10. Yeah. Rader cut her phone lines, which was something he always did, and spent hours waiting for her to come back. Fortunately, the 63-year-old woman escaped death by making an extra stop at her daughter's house on the way home. Rader had spent hours waiting, but became impatient and left. When Williams returned home late in the evening, she found a plastic-coated wire from her basement in the bedroom. She checked her telephone, and when she discovered there was no dial tone, she fled her house never to return. Wichita, res- like, she was just Smart like, woman. bye, goodbye. Smart, I'll burn it down. Yeah. Smart woman. Wichita residents knew that BTK usually cut the phone line before entering a residence. So, like, when she saw that, when she saw the hanger, mm-hmm. and then she checked her phone, she was like, deuces, gots to go, boo. She was on it. I got to go. Because she knew already. She knew. They knew, they knew the, the motive. They knew the MO. She was like, I mean, oh, but think about that. Being at home, and you check your phone, and you know there's no dial tone, and you see something out of place. Nope. Mm-mm. And you're like, is he still in here? Nope. I'm running for my life so it was but it had become a safety routine for the area citizens to check the phone immediately when entering their homes so people would just like come in put their groceries down pick up that phone if it had yeah. a dial tone they felt fine if it didn't gone groceries gonna rot <laughs> like okay what? and nobody's gonna want to buy your house because they're like you done try to get somebody in there already Mm-mm. so yeah So, Williams immediately called the police from a neighbor's house. Investigators found a bundle of bindings, which consisted of rope, wire, underwear, and belts. Jewelry, coins, and scarves were missing from the premises. Goodness. Yeah. On June 15th, 1979, so this is over a year later, um, the BTK sent two letters containing a poem along with a drawing depicting what he had intended to do at the Williams's residence. One was sent to KAKE TV and the other was sent to Anna Williams's home. So I'm guessing this is her new home because I'm sure he knew where she lived. Oh yeah. Yeah. The poem was titled, Oh Lewis, Didn't You Appear? Mm-mm. Yeah. He... BTK had crossed out the name Lewis and printed Anna. I'm only going to read this last passage of the poem because it's creepy, but you can find it online if anyone wants to read it. You said because it's creepy? Yeah, it's real creepy, and it's just too much because he's real extra. Like, he's one of the most extra serial killers you're ever going to meet. Yes. He's so ratchet. Okay. So he says in this last little passage, Alone again I trod in past memory of mirrors and ponder why... For number eight was not, oh, Anna, why didn't you appear? 
BTK 1979. Mm-mm. Goodbye, sir. During his confession, Raider revealed that he became obsessed with Williams and was absolutely livid when she evaded him. You mad, bruh? <laughs> he mad. Sorry, boo. Maybe if you didn't cut the wires every time. You, you know, but you do you. It's just a little too late. I'm out. So those are my cases, my little close calls with serial killers. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm glad everybody got out alive. So yeah, those are my stories for the close I calls. I like them. Thank you. I love doing these. This may yeah, have to just be fun. a thing that we yeah. do. <laughs> you may be hearing more of these because I mean. To be continued. There's so many. It's oh, like yeah. a never ending thing. Mm-hmm. We may have to stop. I don't know. I don't know if we can make parts of them. It'd be like close call encounters with serial killers, <laughs> part three, part eighteen. But yeah, part one thousand. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is just what the whole podcast becomes: close mm-hmm. encounters with serial killers. But yeah, a million close encounters. A million close encounters. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, but yeah, I really enjoy doing these. I do too. Mm-hmm. And if you. Have questions, comments, concerns, requests, send us an email at a million murders at gmail.com. And you can also do those things on our Facebook page. And you can go to our Instagram, look at our pictures that we post of the cases mm-hmm. and the victims and the rude people. Yep. And those are both, you just type in a million murders. Oh, and yeah. Will pop up. And a million. A million <laughs> It's fine. I'm pretty sure I did it on your last one too. I think you did. I didn't remember that. But it's not like that. I don't know what I'm. Yeah, you y'all know. Y'all know what it is. Y'all know. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in. We hope you come back for a a million million more. Bye. (laughs) Goodbye. Farewell. Afitas and goodbye. We've done We're gonna so. have to do we're gonna have to teach you all Vitas in so know. that you can well, okay. that's on right as hell. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs>